0: Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon, part of Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be covering Chapter 16 of Reincarnation, pages 136 to 143. The title of the chapter is called The Second Death. These are they who shall go away unto the lake of fire and brimstone with the devil and his angels and the only ones on whom the second death shall have any power. Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verses 36 and 37. When the prophet Jeremiah lamented over the house of Israel for their wickedness, The Lord told him to go to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 2. Jeremiah, or in Hebrew, Yeremiyahu, obeyed the Lord and observed the potter at work. And the vessel that he, the potter, made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 18 verses 4 through 6. This passage has been used by reincarnationalists to support their belief, but let's take a closer look at what these verses, uh, verses 4 to 6, really mean by continuing to read in Jeremiah chapter 18. The following five verses from 7 to 11 explain what the Lord was trying to teach Jeremiah. If a nation, represented by the clay, was evil, the marred vessel, but turned from their evil ways, forming the new and better vessel, then the Lord will repent of the evil that he thought to do unto them. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 8, and we're on page 137 at 9%. And the Lord told Jeremiah to speak to the men, the men of, of Judah, saying, "Behold, I, am, I frame evil against you, and devise an, a device against you, and return ye now every one from his evil way, and make your ways and do good do." and your doings good. Verse 11. Here the parallel becomes clear. Changing the Israelites from bad to good is the same as changing the vessel from a defective one to a better one. It should be kept in mind that this potter, or the clay analogy, was given as An important lesson that the Lord was trying to teach Jeremiah regarding the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That the Lord could destroy them in their city if they continued in their wickedness, just like the potter could destroy the marred vessel, but that he did have the power to change and mold them into something better, as the potter did with the clay in making another more pleasing vessel. Gabor C. Kimball, himself a potter for over 10 years, often used the familiar phrase in the preaching of the gospel in advice that we should become in the hands of the Lord as clay in the hands of the potter, to become malleable, passive, and obedient. An example of this is Apostle Kimball's conference address, on October 9, 1852, wherein he instructed the saints to temper ourselves according to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 160. He refers to the above passage in Jeremiah and sheds further light upon it, quote, Supposing I have a lump of clay which I put upon my will, out, out of which clay I want to make a jug, I have to turn it into turn it into as many as fifty or a hundred shapes before I get into the jug. How many shapes do you suppose? I think that's a typo. How many shapes do you suppose you are put into before you become saints or before you become perfected? and sanctified and enter into the celestial glory of God. You have got to be like the clay in the potter's hands. Do you not know that the Lord directed the prophet anciently to go down to the potter's house to see a miracle of the will? Page 138 at 22%. Supposing the potter makes a lump of clay and putting it on the wheel goes to work to form it into a vessel and works it out this way and that way and the other way, but the clay is refractory and snappish. He tries it, but it will break and snap and snarl and thus the potter will work it and work it until he is satisfied he cannot bring it into the shape that he wants and it mars upon the will. He takes his tool, then cuts off the will and throws it into the mill to be ground over again until it becomes passive. Don't you think you will go to hell if you are not passive? And after it is ground there so many days and it becomes passive, he takes the same lump and makes, makes of it a vessel of, unto honor. Now do you see unto that, brethren? I know the potters can. I tell you, brethren, if you are not passive, you will have to go into that mill, and perhaps have have to grind there one thousand years, and then the gospel will be offered to you again, and then if you will not accept of it and become passive, you will have to go into the mill again, and thus you will have you will have offers of salvation from time to time until all the human family except the sons of perdition are redeemed the spirits of men will have to go will have the gospel as we do and they are to be judged according to men in the flesh let us be passive and take the course that we are that will be perfect that we will be perfectly submissive. If Brother Brigham tells me to do a thing, it is the same as though the Lord told me to do it. This is the course for you and every other saint to make. Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 161. If we do not learn to be passive and obedient in this life, we will remain in the spirit prison until we repent of our. Repent, except for the sons of perdition. They will be thrown back into the mill and ground over and over again and thus return to the native element. Heber refers to this class of people and their second death when he said the following in 1857, quote, "My My tabernacle that is now standing before you that you see with your eyes I will expect decay just like an old house when it is done with it decays and turns back to the mother earth from whence it was taken and we're on page 139 now at 36 percent and it is so with my body it is so with yours it is not so with my spirit if I leave, live my religion if I do not live my religion but turn away from the principles of light and life, my spirit will die. You have heard me speak of that great a great many times, and so have and so you have brother Brigham. There are thousands upon thousands whose bodies will die by the power of the second death. And when they never and then they never will again or return again many calls to that many call to that annihilation it is just the same with that as it is with this picture it was made in England it was once in the mother element and it was taken out of the earth and went through a certain process it was then molded and fashioned into the shape in which you now see it. Now will the day come when this picture will return to its mother earth? It will. It may become. It may be thrown into some part of the earth where it may be thousands and millions of years before that picture or the elements of of which it is composed will be brought back again, and so it will will be thousands and millions of people, they never will be brought back into the shape that they were once in. Some men inquire, why? Simply because they have dishonored the spirit and the bodies that God gave them, therefore God will make a desolation of those bodies and spirits, and he will throw them back into the earth. That is, that portion that belongs to the earth will go back there. And so it will be with your spirits. They will go back into the elements or space that they once occupied before they came here. Now you may believe what you what you have a mind to. Now you may believe what you have a mind to about it. It is just as easy to conceive of the des- dissolution as, as to conceive of anything else. Chemists take elements and dissolve them and separate them. And cannot it and can it not be done with your with our bodies? I answer yes. And with our spirits too, just as easy as the chemist can take a five dollar piece and dissolve it into the elements that it is like water. Can that be restored again? It can. It can be dissolved and it can be brought back again. And upon the same principle, can our bodies be dissolved and restored again? And that is Journal of Discourses, Volume 5, page 271 and 272. And we're at page 140 at 50%. So this is going to be a short reading for today, which is fine that'll help me get my three out this week that i want to get out so (laughs) here brother heber refers to a first death the disintegration of the body when it is cremated buried etc the second death the disintegration of the spirit brigham young also refers to the second death quote the rebellious will be thrown back into their native element there to remain myriads of years before their dust will again be revived, before they will be reorganized. Some might argue that this principle would lead to the reorganization of Satan and all the devils. I say nothing about this only that the Lord says that when he comes he will destroy death and him that has power of it. It cannot be annihilated. You cannot annihilate matter. Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 118. The story of the potter and clay can refer to the principle of remolding one's character or refashioning the body and the spirit, the later being termed as the second death. Some will be converted and remolded in their character and beliefs in this life or in the spirit world. But those who are not must be remolded in body and spirit similar to aluminum cans that are melted together and then reused as more cans or some other articles. The following three quotes from Joseph F. Smith, Brigham Young, and Erastus Snow further describe the difference between the first and second deaths. While the sons of perdition, men who had once been in possession of the light and truth, but who turn away from it and deny the Lord, putting him to an open shame, as the Jews did when they crucified him, And said let his blood be upon us and our children men who consent against the light and knowledge to shedding of innocent blood it will be said unto them depart ye cursed I never knew you depart into the second death even banishment from the presence of God Forever ever and ever, where worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And we're on page 143, or no, I'm sorry, 141 at four, uh, 62%. From whence there is no redemption, neither neither in time nor in eternity. So, just real quick, I have a friend. His name is, um, Eugene Richardson, but his India's, Indi- Indian name is, uh, Yuani, or, um, I can't remember what his, Buzzard something, I don't know, his Indian name is Buzzard Bear, I think, I'm not sure. Anyway, but he said that he was shown a vision... ...of what happens after the spirit goes through the, the uh, burning in the lake of fire... ...which is talked about in the book of Revelation... ...where he talks about how they are cast off into um, into a black hole... ...and they're thrown into an event horizon. That they are cast off into the black hole... ...and that eventually they will come out of that place... And be remolded. And I don't know if that's true or not. Um, It's just an interesting thing that he said that he was shown by God. And uh, I don't know. He's got a lot of interesting things. He actually has had a lot of the same revelations that I've had before I knew him. And um, he's been shown a lot of the same things. But I haven't been shown that personally, but he has. So I just wanted to interject that. Um, Brigham Young may, may not have known I don't think he knew about black holes but it doesn't matter I mean like if we're not going to go there then I don't know if it really matters to us but one of the things that that I find interesting is that men and women who consent to the shedding of innocent blood he says, Brigham Young says that they are worthy of the second death. Now, I don't know what to think about that. I haven't received revelation of that concern uh, concerning that either way. Um, but it does say in the Old Testament that those who allow wickedness and sin are guilty of that wickedness and sin. So under that principle, allowing the shedding of innocent blood and like consenting to it or just allowing it and not standing, standing up against it um, is the same as that principle is if you allow wickedness and abomination and you don't stand up against it that you're worthy, you're, uh, you're guilty of that sin even though you may not be committing it and it just makes me think of, of all of the millions of babies who have been murdered in the womb and that so many of us just turn a blind eye to it and that we don't say anything or do anything um, a lot of us among the the restoration we think that it's okay for some reason because uh, because some leader has said a thing about it and um, I don't know what to think about that if if there's a chance that that the baby can be born then i think that the baby should be born if there's a chance that the baby can survive the birth then then every opportunity to that little baby should be in my opinion given to it Uh, And hopefully neonatal will be able to bring it through the hard phases of maybe an early birth or maybe, um, you know, there's deformities or whatnot. But, But every minute of life is valuable. Now, I say that as a man who has lost two babies. My daughter, who would be... I think two right now. She, my wife went into early uh, labor and she was in the hospital for a month. They were trying to stop the labor. And she was in, uh, up in Orem, Utah at at Tipanogos Regional. And we live like over a hundred miles away from there. And um, my wife and I have five kids, and at the time, we had a, a two-year-old or one-year-old at home. And uh, we got help from, from local people here that we're friends with, but we did not get help from my family. Which is one of the reasons I don't talk to my family anymore, especially my mom, because she only lives 45 miles away from here, and she doesn't have a job, and her home was paid off because my grandparents gave her an inheritance, and, um, she just refused to help out. But anyway, so, um... And there's a lot of other things my mom has done uh, in the past that just, that was the breaking point for me. I, I said, I asked her to help and she wouldn't. And then I told her if she doesn't help, then then the same thing that, that happened to my dad is going to happen to her. In that, I haven't spoken to my own dad, my biological dad, since 2006. And I refuse to. And he doesn't care, and he never did care. He left when I was three. Um, every time they would find him to pay child support, he would just move or get a uh, get an, uh like a job under the table or whatever. And he never cared cared at all about taking care of me or my two sisters, who were his kids. And. Um, Anyway, but my mom, I haven't spoken to her in two years, I think. But I don't know why I got off onto that topic. But um, we dealt with having our baby live for 13 hours, go through an extremely difficult birth. My wife was hurt really bad in giving... Uh, giving birth to this, this child uh, because of a really messed up c-section because it was an emergency the way it all happened I, I won't go into details but it was a mess anyway but um, but we, we did everything that we could to keep that baby here and my wife could have died but life is valuable It is very valuable Every single life is valuable And like when we consent Or we don't stand up Against The wicked evils of murdering Babies The most innocent of all in the womb Then I wonder If we're consenting to that But I don't know Like I don't think that Like Brigham Young in his quote like I'm pretty sure he would say that we're all guilty of perdition or to become perdition or the the children of perdition whatever but I don't think that personally now this is not revelation this is my opinion I think that in order to become perdition you have to have received revelation and confirmation of the Holy Spirit that you know that God lives or that Joseph Smith was a prophet or that Jesus Christ is the Savior and then reject it so I know several uh, individuals including my aunt uh, who have been deceived by um, by certain theological uh, individuals where she doesn't even believe Jesus is the Christ anymore even though she has seen him in the flesh now it's sons of perdition but she's rejected the light completely Uh, and it's partly because God asked her to do certain things and she refused to do them so there was also a man who saw Jesus Christ face to face, and who saw the Father place His hands upon my head, and he was a witness of that. He's the only one who saw it. And God instructed him to do some very hard things. It wasn't me, God went to him directly. I didn't get revelation for him, but he gave me the revelation that he received and he refused to do the things which God asked him to do because they were hard. And, and now he's... I don't even know where he is. Like, I know he's in Ashland, Kentucky or that area, and he's trying to be a minister of something or other. But, like, people who have had a strong witness... So I'm recording this for the podcast, and uh, somebody knocked on my door, and it's a little bit later, but um, apparently somebody slid off the road uh, between our property and the other property that's like, I don't know, eight or 900 yards down the road, and um, I guess there was two cars, and one of them slid off the road. It's pretty icy out there. And they, uh, they asked if they could park on my property so that they could wait for a tow truck to come to pull them out of the ditch. Nobody's hurt. Uh, and the people that were in the one car got into the other car, uh, so they're fine. But anyway, yeah, that just happened, and it uh, completely wrecked my train of thought. <laughs> um, so anyway, whatever I was talking about, um I was th- well I know what I was talking about. I was talking about um the murder of innocence. And um I, I don't know, like sh- like murdering innocence is not forgivable. Um and they have to pay for their own sins. And like I was just thinking so my son, my three year old Arius is here sneezing. You can probably hear him. He's like sitting on my, uh, just to my right, of, the right of me, listening to me talk. And he's being a very good boy and being very quiet. Uh, but I do have to pause every once in a while so he can tell me things. Anyway, but um, I was just thinking, like David murdered Uriah. He didn't do it personally, but he put him on the front lines and he's guilty of the death of Uriah, who was an innocent man. But David will spend a certain time in hell, not the lake of fire, but in spirit prison. But he will come out of that after he pays for his own sins. um, Okay, another interruption. Anyway, um but after certain individuals who consent to murder even if they didn't do it like David did to Uriah he's guilty of that murder and the power of salvation that Jesus Christ paid for our sins that's something that is not redeemable by the atonement Individuals who have done those type of things, they have to pay for their own sins, but they will come out of hell after they pay for those sins. And they will receive a resurrection after those sins have been paid for. And that's that is what happened to David. And I I don't believe David is a son of perdition because he he allowed or was guilty of the murder of innocence. And I think that people who Uh, consent to abortion the murder of innocents I don't know if I don't know if their sins are paid by Jesus Christ because we know that when the resurrection happened in the New Testament it talks about David still being in the tomb he wasn't resurrected he's had to stay where he was Now I'm going to let God be the judge of that but going on what the evidence is in scripture these individuals are not forgiven even if they repent. David was very sorry for what he had done but the atonement didn't cover him and he was not resurrected when all of the rest of the patriarchs were resurrected. And that individuals who consent to murder, the murder of innocence, I don't believe that their sin in that is forgivable. Now, if they, they say, oh, at one time they believed that it was okay to murder a baby in the womb, but then they repent of that, maybe that's different. I don't know. I'm not the judge. I know that God is pretty harsh in these areas. He is very, very forgiving and very liberal, but the murder of innocence is like the... It's the sin next... It's the sin next to um, denying the Holy Ghost. So, I don't know. I I don't know what to think, and I'm not the judge, so I'm not going to judge, but just based on Scripture and logical deduction um I don't know I don't know Anyway, continuing on, we can't justify our sins because we think that it's okay to do something which which uh I I would say clearly is not something that we should be doing. But I understand how people can like say, oh, it's just a clump of cells. But that's the lies of Satan. And he wants to get you into that mindset so that if the time comes when you've been promiscuous and you have not kept other commandments and you find yourself pregnant and that's a huge inconvenience for you, that you say to yourself it's just a clump of cells and you, you listen to the lies of Satan and then you consent to uh, murder of the unborn and it's just a sad situation that this country has allowed abortion which was supposed to be safe, legal and rare to become a uh, to become something so common that uh, that people just do it. And like the state of Utah, with its high population of, of people who are Mormon, has one of the higher abortion rates in the country. Uh, at least according to some of the statistics that I've seen. So it's just sad that people that have had so much light... Turn away from that light because of convenience Anyway continuing on Herein is the difference between the second and first death Herein men became spiritually dead From what the first death He may be redeemed by the blood of Christ Through obedience To have the laws and ordinances of the gospel But here the second death But from the second death, there is no redemption at all. Joseph F. Smith, Journal of Discourses, volume 21, verse 12. There is no plan, no device, no possible way in which we can get rid of Mormonism. Only by taking the downward road which leads to hell. Until spiritually and temporally the whole organization is being dissolved... And the particles thereof have returned again to the native element. And there's some prophecies about that actually um, that the church organization, the corporation will collapse. And um, it's just, it's going to collapse. When Babylon falls, it will collapse and, and be dissolved. And God is bringing people out of that organization now. He's removing the wheat from the tares. I know the church wants to think that the tares are leaving. It's the wheat that's leaving. There's tares that are leaving too, but the wheat is leaving. Those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and they see the... The inaccuracies and the changes in the ordinances and the endowments and the changes of the gospel, which has happened, uh, which we've covered on this program, they're leaving. And and Satan is allowed to put up these Judas false prophets to lead these people astray. But there will be a remnant who is led into places of safety when Babylon falls and the church will fall with it it's not going to save you the church has gone into apostasy that's why in Doctrine and Covenants 85 Jesus says that he will send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order implying it will become out of order and in 2 Nephi chapter 28 Nephi says that he sees a vision of the church in the latter days and he says All have been deceived, even the humble followers of Christ, who are led in many instances in the precepts of men and false doctrine, all. That includes all of the fundamentalists, all of the corporate church, all of the break-off branches that came out of Nauvoo, all of the break-off branches even the ones who have like the Doctrine of Christ groups and the Snufferites all and the one mighty and strong is sent according to Jesus Christ to set the house not just the church but the house of God in order and he does that because he's given sealing authority sealing keys and, and other keys to do the work of the ministry And to set the house of God in order And when Jesus said that he would have to send this prophet He implied that it would come out of order Which it has Now the church will never admit to that In fact they try to hide the the old records So that you don't know that they've changed But thank goodness for fundamentalists who have kept kept the records and not allowed them to destroy the Journal of Discourses. In fact, I have a full set of the Journal of Discourses in my home. I have many other books in my home that are from like of ancient, not ancient, but older times when the church was newer. I have two Book of Mormon's from uh, 1906, which are the Parley P. Pratt edition. But by that time, there had already been changes made. Even at that time, and the church wants to say they haven't changed, but they have—they have changed so much. It's not the same church that Jesus or that Jesus sent Joseph Smith to restore. And it is out of order. It's out of order. And in fact, Isaiah saw the the ministry of the one mighty and strong. And he talked about the people that he went in among in uh, Isaiah chapter 28, where he stated that um, he stated that the, the drunkards of Ephraim talks about the drunkards of Ephraim. How the priest and the prophet are out of the way. He's speaking of Ephraimites in the last days. The priest and the prophet are out of the way, and all their tables are full of vomit and filth. And, but it's not. They're t- well, I believe that they look upon the meat of the gospel as vomit and filth, and they reject it. And that they're drunk on the spirit of Babylon the great. And because they're so tied up in Babylon the Great, they, they fall when Babylon the Great falls. And Bishop John Coyle, he saw that in vision. And he said that, this, that the nation would fall, the state government would fall, and the church would fall all around them. Like so quick in succession he couldn't tell which happened first. Now, obviously, that hasn't happened yet, but I believe it will. Because John Coyle, uh, he actually had other prophecy, a lot of other prophecies that came true. And it's been a while since I've gone through his books. But I think that um, I think I did go through them all on my old podcast the kingdom of guard or nothing but somebody hacked all of that so we don't i don't have that information anymore i'd have to go back over it but you can find uh books about the dream mind and john coyle's prophecies at Ogdenkraut.com where i read this stuff and a link in the description of this podcast whether it's zion's redemption radio network on itunes or at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentallymormon, you will find a link. It says down at the bottom, I'll put a link. It'll say, uh, read other books on restoration theology. Just click that link and you can go find the, more of the prophecies of John Coyle there, but and a lot of other books, in fact. But anyway, continuing on. We read in the scriptures of the second death not having power over certain ones. The first death is the separation of the spirit from the body. The second death is, as I have stated, the dissolution of the organized particles which compose the spirit and their return to their native element. Brigham Young, Journal uh, Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 149. The spiritual death is that which shall be passed upon Passed upon the wicked When they shall say unto them Depart ye cursed Into everlasting fire Prepared for the devil and his angels And like I just want to real, uh, People to realize God didn't create the lake of fire For you to be thrown into it That's for the devil And his angels See there's a difference between paradise and heaven And there's a difference Between spirit prison and hell The lake of fire. Like when Jesus said, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. When he was talking to Mary after he was resurrected. You know, like he said three days earlier to the thief. Today you'll be with me in paradise, which is where he went. But he had not yet been to the father, which is which shows that paradise and heaven are two separate places. But it's the same thing with spirit prison or hell and the lake of fire. God doesn't want to send you there. He did not prepare it for you. But if you are past repentance and rebellious and you turn against the light, God will destroy you. And and why would God destroy anyone? He loves all of us. He loves Adolf Hitler. He loves all of us. But he's not going to allow the wicked to gain numbers to overthrow heaven like Satan, like Lucifer tried to do before he became Satan. These individuals have chosen their path, and if left to their own choices... They would build up a number to come against God's heaven and God's kingdom. And it's through the experience of eons through uh, God the Eternal Father and all that he has, has seen that these rules have to be implemented for the destruction of the wicked who will not repent. And that is why at the end of this Round Satan and all of the demons that follow after him will be destroyed all the way, they'll be annihilated. Can you imagine 10, 10 50, 100, or a 1, thousand worlds and all of the demons and all of the Satans from each of those worlds? coming against one world in the kingdom of God in heaven if he didn't destroy them they would uh, be able to gain a foothold and you know what Satan when he became when he was Lucifer he convinced a third of the host of heaven to follow after him. he could have upset the whole thing if he had more power and more numbers so god destroys these individuals anyway continuing on i understand that the second death is a spiritual death is it meant that the spirit shall die each of you each of you can draw your own conclusions as well as i Your traditions may be such that your thoughts do not run in the same channel with with mine in this respect. But I can conceive of no other spiritual death than dissolution. (coughs) He didn't know. He didn't understand. What I was shown is that eventually the spirit that is not sealed a man to the woman and a woman to the man does eventually grow old and die but that's not the that's not through the lake of fire that when we were intelligence before the intelligence becomes self-aware that we are masculine and feminine and when the intelligence becomes self-aware the masculine energies and the feminine energies separate And you have a male and a female spirit, but that, at that point, is the beginning of the spirit. Now, the intelligence is eternal, but the spirit has a beginning, and it can have an end. And the reason why the man cannot be in the presence of God without the woman, and the woman without the man, is because in order to stop the progression and gain an eternal life you must the man and the woman must be sealed by the holy spirit of promise they must be sealed to each other and then sealed to their file leader which is jesus christ or the father a sealing together without the other sealing is of no use and is invalid That's why it's sad that the church did away with the law of adoption in the 1890s. That they didn't understand it because they had turned so far from the truth that God gave them strong delusion because they believed the lie that it wasn't that important so they received strong delusion that they might be damned. See, when you don't take the light that God gives you and you reject it, God pulls it all back from you. Now you can repent and walk back in the light, and God will slowly give you more back. But if you reject the gospel, or you you reject certain principles of the gospel, God can take it from you. And I believe that God took it from them. So they didn't understand what the law of adoption was. In the 1890s with Wilfred Woodruff, he says, I don't know. Like, everybody's talking about these things and who knows, whatever. I believe that 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 knowledge was lost. The same thing with other knowledge that was once taught in the early church, which is not taught now. But I digress. Or maybe I ingress. Or whatever. I'm going to start reading again. I understand when... Applied to the mortal tabernacle, it alludes to the dissolution of that tabernacle. It ceases to act in its function, being dissolved to return to its native element. I conceive that the same term is applicable to the spirit in like manner, whether it be dissolution or whether it be an eternal preservation of that spirit in a state of torment and misery, which I do not admit one thing is certain, that the hope of redemption and eternal life is passed forever from those who are subject to the second death, and we're on page 142 at 76%. I understand this to be a curse upon those who give themselves up altogether to work wickedness and abominations, who have sinned so far that they have no longer any part in life. They have sinned that sin which is unto death, for which there is no redemption or forgiveness in this world, nor in the world to come. The Savior says, fear not him that is able to destroy the body only, but rather fear him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Hell may be an an analogous term and applicable in different places to different things, but, in this passage, it is evident that he implies the destruction of the soul as well as that of the body. These reflections of mine do not teach as doc- I do not teach as doctrine, binding your consciences, but as views which I have of the sacred scripture referring to the second death. One thing is taught clearly on all the revelations, ancient and modern, that there is a class on whom the second death shall pass. And the thought of their returning to their native element is the thought which all intelligence being shrink from. The instinct within us is to cleave to life, to cleave to organization, and the greatest joy we feel is in the certain hope of the resurrection from the dead. The idea of the second death or dissolution of the spirit is that which is the most terrifying to the soul. But our Father has so ordained that our spiritual organizations, as well as our tabernacles, can only be maintained and perfected through obedience to the laws of eternal life. And that was Erastus Snow in a conference address, which is recorded in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, pages 358 and 359. Some men willingly commit sin until they are completely in the power of the evil spirits. They become more and more wicked with each new evil they perpetuate, until they are totally in the hands of Satan. Such become candidates for the second death. This is one of the saddest commentaries on the salvation of men. Brigham Young spoke of these, of those who seek after these, after things that are calculated. And we're on page 143 at 90%. Anyway, this is Brigham Young calculated to destroy them spiritually and temporally to bring upon them the first death and then the second so that they will be as though they had not been to enough to make the heavens weep. Journal of Discourses, volume 6, page 347 And again said he, quoting Brigham Young, What is that we call death compared to the agonies of the second death? If people could see it as Joseph Smith and Sidney saw it, they would pray that the vision be closed up for they could not endure the sight. Journal of Discourses, volume 18, page 219. The worst part of the second death is the loss of identity. That's because you're ground back into the powder Or the element that you came. Anyway, continuing, Brother Brigham explained the final course of those who become so wicked. Quote, some think that they can prosper by lying a little, breaking the Sabbath, and doing almost everything that they ought not to do. In the day that they will learn that they have trod the path that leads to the first and second death. ...which will have power over them, and the time will come when they will be as though they had not been. Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 205. Putting clay back into the pot, throwing aluminum cans back into the furnace, or dumping a bucket of water into a lake are all examples of a second death because the original identity is lost and those elements cannot be retrieved and restored in their same form. We call this process recycling. According to these interpretations by Heber C. Kimball and Brigham Young, it is possible to support a belief that those who experience a second death will ever be born again into mortality with their original identity so that's the end of the reading of that chapter chapter 16 talking about the second death when we come back on the next program we're going to be reading chapter 17 the final judgment so anyway um, i'll see if i can get that one out today hopefully that'll be the third one for this week uh, but I do have a lot of stuff to do today. We're actually going to get hay for our animals. Because um, we don't have any hay here. Uh, we used it all up. So, uh, And I've got to get ready for work. I go back to work tomorrow, Friday morning. And... Um, yeah, I'm not really looking forward to it. i driving over that pass... Uh, Is a difficult thing to do. Even without chains on. But like when we have to put chains on. Like I have two bulge discs in my back. Or in my neck. And one in my back. And bone spurs and arthritis. From you know driving 27 years. And. um, I am not looking forward to going back to work. But it's the job that I do. And uh, sometimes I wonder if going through this misery of, of having to do this stuff at very high altitudes, up to 9,100 uh, actually over 9,100 feet I wonder if God is trying to prepare me to be strong in the winter or something, I don't know, anyway but that's what's going on uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday I will be working I will recover on Tuesday and then hopefully Wednesday Thursday and Friday I will be able to do more programs, uh, cover one to three more chapters next week. So anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless and goodbye.